my message isn't specific to fathers today. It's, uh, but I, I'm trust that fathers, mothers, young, old, rich, poor, whoever is going to get something from my message today. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're preaching out of. I'm going to be talking out of Psalm 57, and it's called "Let Your Glory Be Over All the Earth." Let your glory be over all the earth. And so the title of my message is Singing Praises in the Cave. Singing Praises in the Cave. So, um, just a little... Um, well, let me, let me just say this. I think the key verses in this psalm is ver- found in verse 5 and in verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse 11 says the exact same thing. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so, you know, the Christian life is described in many ways. You know, the journey of the Christian life. Sometimes it's mountaintop experiences where you're standing on a mountain and you have this great long view and this beautiful vista and you can see a long way and if it's a if it's a clear sunny day you can see a long way and those are like the high times in the christian life then the christian life sometimes has been likened to a valley and when you're down in a lowly place the trials the difficulties the challenges of life have been described as a valley well this um is actually written by David, and it describes a time, he wasn't on a mountaintop, and he wasn't even in a valley. It's describing a time when he was literally hiding in a cave. Literally hiding in a cave. A cave is a dark, damp, dank place. Yes, dank is a word. You can look it up. It means uh, musty and cold. Okay? A, a, uh, a cave is dark, damp, and dank. No beautiful vistas. No long, you know, mountaintop experience where you see rolling hills and valleys. And if it's in the fall, the colors of trees, all that stuff. No, it's where you don't see anything. It's dark. It's uh, there's not beautiful sights. There's probably not pleasant sounds. But in this cave is where David writes this song this uh, of, of praise to God. Reason being, David was motivated by not necessarily what he saw with these eyes, because there wasn't a lot to see in that dark cave, but he had something in his heart that motivated him and allowed him to sing even in that difficult situation. And basically, it was that God would be exalted that God would be glorified. So I want to give you something today that literally, if you and I will embrace this, this can center our life no matter what, no matter what situation we're going through. If we can see everything we experience as Lord, my prayer, my desire, what's most important to me, God, is that you would be honored and you would be glorified. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I wish you'd get me out of this hard situation. Yeah, this stinks and this is difficult. Yeah, I wish you'd fix all the people around me so they treat me better. Whatever it might be. But bigger than all of that is if we would get a hold of the idea that God, please let my life be all about glorifying You and honoring You 
that You would be exalted. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Your glory be over all the earth. Let me read the whole psalm. It's not very long. Psalm 57. It says, To the choir master, according to do not destroy. A dictum of David. Dictum, I think, Hebrew word that means an instruction of David. So the psalms, there's lots of different psalms and a lot of them have different like end goals. Sometimes they're an exhortation to praise God and give Him praise and glory and honor. Sometimes it's just a lamentation like the the psalmist is emotionally really hurting and struggling. He just, ah! He just puts it to words and it's just, you know, it's, it's describing and giving voice to his pain. At other times, psalms are supposed to teach us and instruct us. This is one of those. It's a teaching psalm. A dictum of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. Uh, Rachel was just singing that very idea in the song a minute ago. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame Him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts. So so David is describing the the feeling that he has in this season of his life, he just feels like he's being attacked and he's being surrounded by by vicious animals that are trying to kill him. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man, those whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And then all of a sudden, out of this, he just completely changes gears and he says, be exalted, O God, <laughs> above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's almost like it has nothing to do with what's happening and what he's describing and what he's struggling with. And all of a sudden, he just tells God, please be exalted. And that's exactly kind of, I, I'm like, Lord, I want my life to be like that. Like it's real easy when we're in difficult seasons and, you know, we're, we're just, everything is up close and all of our problems. But Lord, please help us to lift our eyes and help us to, may our prayer be God that you would be honored, you would be exalted above, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse six, then set us, um, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations. For Your steadfast love is great to the heavens, Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, Above the heavens, let Your glory be over all the earth. Father, we just thank You today. Thank You, Lord, for the Bible. Thank You, Lord, that we read in Scripture, Lord, the life of David. And, you know, there's a lot, I'm sure, that isn't recorded in the Bible, but there's a lot in there. And 
uh, it describes in this psalm is describing a season of his life when he is literally on the run, and yet, Lord, you protected him, you cared for him, you supernaturally spared him time and time and time again. And Lord, we see a little glimpse of what's the motivation in David's heart. It, it is God that you would be exalted and you would be glorified. Please. Today, Lord, like David in the cave, help us to get our eyes off the problems and help us to lift our eyes to You. That, Lord, the motive, the, the cry, the biggest desire of our lives, Lord, would, they, would be that You are exalted above all else. Lord, we thank You. We praise You. We honor You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So one of the cool things about this section of Scripture in the Psalms is a lot of these psalms, if you read in the, the, like in the beginning of the psalm, there's like a subtitle, and it describes what's happening in King David's life when he wrote this psalm. The song is connected to that season of his life. A whole bunch of these. In you know, a lot of the psalms in the 50s and maybe even in the 40s and into the 60s, there's like this anointed subtitle that connects the psalm with the season in David's life. So I just want to do a kind of a quick overview of David's life. Bob did this a few weeks ago, but I, I want to do it from a slightly different angle. And um, basically, it, we read about David's early life from 1 Samuel chapter 16 to 1 Samuel 31. And, uh, you know, it, it begins with David as a young boy, probably a teenage boy, and the prophet Samuel. Uh, comes and uh, at this point there was a king in Israel. His name was Saul. He kind of started out good, but he ended up going bad very quickly. And God regretted setting Saul in his king. And so he was going to find someone else that he was going to anoint to be the king of Israel. And here Samuel goes to this guy Jesse's house. He says, bring me your sons. And these sons come in and they're tall, they're handsome, they're big, they're strong. Samuel in his mind is thinking, oh, that guy, he must be it. He looks like the king type. And God's like, no, no, no. He's not the one. I've rejected him. I actually look at man's heart. I don't look at the outward appearance. And so son after son of Jesse come and none of them are the right guy. And Jesse says, well, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, yeah, I've got one more, my youngest. He's kind of the runt of the family. He's, he's out in the field taking care of the sheep. Go get him right now. I'm not going to sit down until he comes. And so David comes in from the field. And, and so Samuel's like, this is the one. God shows him this is the one. And he anoints him with oil and, and basically prophesies and, and tells him that he's going to be the king of Israel. And we see that in 1 Samuel 16. And so then... So then David, you know, has this encounter with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, and God wins this great victory over the Philistines through this young shepherd boy, David. And so David starts out in, in many ways in this great relationship with Saul. And Saul is, is, uh, he, he brings him into his kind of close company. And David is not only a young, uh, fearless, courageous warrior. He's also a gifted musician. He's anointed of God. God's hand is on him. And uh, But, very early on, Saul 
gets jealous of David. And so the women, after some battle, the women start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. (gasps) And Saul, being the insecure leader that he was, immediately is like, they're ascribing to him ten thousand and me only a thousand. And so he, he was totally envious and suspicious and jealous of David. And from that point on, he starts literally for years trying to kill David. And so much of David's 20s, like in his 20s for probably seven, eight, nine years, David was actually, even though he was, he was anointed to be king um, and called to be king, he didn't actually become king for maybe 10, 12 years later. Maybe more. Maybe more like 14 years later. There was a big gap between when he was anointed and when he actually began to reign. He was 30 years old when he began to reign. But much of his 20s was spent on the run as a fugitive from Saul. It's actually some great reading in Scripture. Like if you like stories like, you know, like Lord of the Rings and Braveheart, those kind of things, read 1 Samuel. I mean, it's like, it's better than all of it, to be honest with you. It's great storytelling and it describes David on the run from Saul. And you see, I mean, God was protecting him in all these amazing ways. Um, so he, uh, you know, a couple times in the story, Saul literally tried to throw a spear at David, and David avoids the spear and runs out. And uh, at other times, like Jonathan, Saul's son, would tell him and warn him, no, my dad isn't out to get you. David's like, no, I think he is. I think he's trying to kill me. No, trust me, my dad wouldn't do anything that significant without talking to me first. I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me talk to my dad and I'll tell you what he tells me. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. And so Jonathan talks to his dad and sure enough, he finds out he is trying to kill David. And so Jonathan warns David and helps him to escape. Uh, Michal, Saul's daughter, which is David's husband, also protects David and helps him to escape Saul. And so again, you just see all these people. And David, I could imagine this being like a super like fearful, insecure season of his life. I mean, literally, the king, the king is trying to kill him. The king has all the soldiers. He's got all the army. He's got all the weaponry. He's got all the chariot. He's got it all. And David is just this young guy who's on, he's running for his life for years. Years and years and years. Um, one time, and it's so cool the way you watch the Lord protect David. There was another time when, when uh, Saul was just, it, it describes in, uh, I think it's in 1 Samuel 23, it says, David and his men, were on one side of the mountain, and then Saul and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And you just get this sense like he's just right around the corner ready to get him. And all of a sudden, Saul gets a message from home. He says, come, hurry and come for the Philistines are raiding the land. And so Saul's just about ready to get him. He's like, oh, okay, i got to go back and take care of him. Put out a fire back home, you know? And so this is what you see. You read this in 1 Samuel. It's great. It's really Great storytelling. Um, 
Not to mention it's true. And uh, so in 1 Samuel 24, though, is where we get to the, to the story of David being in the cave. So I'm just going to kind of keep telling it. I'm not going to take the time to read it. So, again, David is running from Saul for, for years of his life. This is another instance where Saul is out looking for David. Saul has 3,000 soldiers. David has, at this point, I think 600 men. So five to one ratio. Okay, Saul's got that many more soldiers than he has. At this one point, Saul basically needs to use the latrine. Okay, he has to take a rest stop. So he goes into this cave to relieve himself. He has to go to the bathroom. Meanwhile, in the back of the cave, 1 Samuel 24, I'm not making this up, you got to read it yourself. 1 Samuel 24, David and his men are in the back of the cave. And here Saul is in, in, in the cave, totally unaware that David is in there. And he's relieving himself. And so David's men are like, hey, boss, this is it. This is the day we've been waiting for. This is the day that God has told you you were going to triumph over your enemies. This is it. He's given him to you. He's put him in your hands. How awesome is this? And so David does something really wise. And it sa- he says, Scripture says, he stealthily cut the corner of Saul's robe. So he snuck, got close enough to him that he could touch his garment, cut the corner of his robe. And when he cut the corner of his robe, his heart was cut to the quick. His conscience bothered him. When he cut the robe, his conscience bothered him immediately. And David said to his men, no. Said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is God's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. This is an amazing story of of integrity and honor that David exercised. Remember, for years, Saul is trying to kill him. David killed many men by this point. He was a warrior. He was a a soldier. It wasn't like he was afraid to kill somebody. But he recognized Saul as messed up as he was and he was whacked. He was wackadoo, demonically influenced. I mean, he was a crazy man. You actually see him go through these pendulum swings just like a, just like a maniac would. I mean, he literally is all like uh, soft-hearted toward David one minute, and then he's just in a rage the next. He's just literally out of his mind. And here, David could easily have taken his life, but he refused to do it because he honored the Lord, and he trusted God. He didn't want to, he basically did not want to take things into his own hands to see himself elevated to be the king. Right? It's basically, he, he said, I, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lay my hand. His heart even bothered him that he cut a corner of his robe. And so he, they get out of the cave, and Saul gets a little ways away, and David's like, you know, Saul, master. 
and, and, and Saul's like, who is that? And it was David. And so he realized, basically Saul realized that even though Saul was intending to do David evil, David was again in doing him good. And um, a great, amazing story. And so, you know, any time I'm reading the Scripture, I'm always asking myself, okay, you know, Lord, what's, what's the moral of this story? What's the, what's the big idea here? Or another way to put it is, where, where is the Gospel in this story? Because you know the Gospel is, we, we need to see the Gospel from Genesis to Revelation, right? All of these stories in the Old Testament are supposed to give us insight into God's way to save mankind and way, to, way that He wants to work in our lives and save us. So here's, here's the way it is here. David did not try to exalt himself. He did not try to save himself. Instead, he totally trusted God to do for him what he would not or could not do for himself. He did not take matters into his own hand. He yielded, he trusted, he surrendered to God's will and to God's way. Right? He could have easily killed his enemy, but he did not. He trusted that God was... Now, understand, I don't think David for a moment doubted that he was someday going to be king. But he just said, I'm not going to be the one to make it happen. Okay, I'm not going to make it happen. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you and for I? He, he won victory not by the force of His might, not by just wiping out all of His enemies. You know, when Jesus was headed to the cross, you know what He said? He said, guys, don't you realize if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels right now? And they could, I mean, they would wipe out planet Earth at that point. One angel in the Old Testament killed 185,000 men in one night. 12 legions of angels is like 12,000, no, no, sorry, 72,000 angels. Okay, there's like um, 6,000 angels in a legion. So potentially the number 72,000 angels could have wiped out planet Earth. So Jesus didn't conquer by force and might and exerting His own will. He surrendered His will to the Father. Father, not my will, thy will be done. And in the same way, that's what God calls Christians to. Okay, We're not called to just exert our own will. The cross is not only a place where Jesus died to pay for our sin, it's also the place where we learn to surrender our lives. Lord, not my, my will, thy will be done. Amen? And the, uh, the paradox of that is that's the way God has intended the Christian life to be. That's how He's intended us to, in a sense, be victorious. It's not through our might. It's not through our willpower. It's not through us exerting strength. David could have done that in the cave. He could have made it happen. He could have taken out his enemy and maybe have gotten to be king even quicker. Because literally, when in, in the cave there, he went several more years on the run. He could have made his life a lot easier. But he didn't do it. He completely trusted God that God was going to vindicate him. God was going to exalt him in his time and in his way. 
And that's what, that's what Jesus did on our behalf, and that's what we're called to do. So back to Psalm. It's a great story in, in um, 1 Samuel. Back to the Psalm. Just a couple of, couple of thoughts here in the Psalm. Verse 1 through 4 basically shows how David is just trusting God. He says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. In you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. D- David just trusted God. He did not take matters into his own hands. Lord, you're going to have to protect me. You're going to have to vindicate me. You're going to have to exalt me. You're going to have to spare my life. Like he did not take matters into his own hands. He, uh, and he respected. Even Saul in his messed up state, David just still respected that God was the one that put him in that place as the king of Israel. God had anointed him. So it's really always important, you know, when we as Christians are like challenging the, maybe there are times when we're challenging the authority structures in the world in which we live. I know some people are frustrated that we're not meeting as a church. I completely get it. I'm frustrated too. But we're trying to walk this, 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 you know, this tightrope of, of respecting authority. And God is a God of order. God is a God of authority. And so it's not to be taken lightly when we disrespect human authority figures. As Christians, we, we need to... Yes, there's times to do it. And sometimes they're not always super black and white. You know, the super black and white ones maybe are easy. Sometimes there's, there's more difficult you know, decisions that need to be made. You know, you can read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II, he struggled greatly with, on the one hand, should he respect authority in Germany and, you know, Adolf Hitler, but on the other hand, he became convinced over time that no, he should actually be part of the resistance and rise up and try to see Adolf Hitler killed. Uh, that was the, that was the right thing to do. He struggled with that greatly. Uh, but the point is, is certainly should never be done lightly to resist human authority. Because we recognize that God is, be, God, all authority begins with God. Okay, all authority begins with God, Romans 13. Um, so, b- bottom line is David trusted the Lord. And then later on in the psalm, it talks about how he, because of his trust, he literally was singing to God. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. So um, our trust, one of the best ways we can like exercise trusting God is to sing. I'll just be honest with you. It's a great exercise. It's something the Christians... For all around the world, for you know, thousands of years, believers have gathered and they've sung praises to God. It's such a great blessing to uh, to have musicians in our midst and to help us to give voice to praising and worshiping God. It's really, really important. And the last thing I just want to mention is that David was motivated not just by his own safety. Not by his own agenda, not by his own comfort, 
not by his own wishes. He said, God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was getting ready to die, he basically said, you know, it's really not that important to me whether I live or whether I die. The most important thing to me, my heart's desire, my number one goal, what's most important is that God would be glorified. That God would be exalted. That He would be magnified. Whether I live or whether I die, I want Him to be magnified. Now that, that is a great, like, that is a great goal for every person to have. It's not about our happiness. Does God want us to be happy? Sure. But more than that, He wants us to be holy. <laughs> um, does God want to bless our lives? Yes, absolutely. We're His kids. But the, mo- the, the most important motive of our life in, is that God would be honored and God would be glorified. And that our lives would point to who He is. His goodness, His love, His mercy, His justice. All of His attributes. Our life is to reflect that. And that should be the main motive of our heart and our life. Amen? This psalm, I'm going to end with this. Years ago, actually Judy and I in our wedding, uh, verse 9, 10, and 11, when, when I was a young believer, this was a song that we used to sing. And you know how some songs, like they just take you back to that time in your life? You know, there's some songs that are like, wow, I just, that's a really significant song. You know, maybe couples have a song like that. Oh, this is our song when we were dating or whatever. But certainly in the Christian life, there are some songs that just like, oh, wow, I remember that. I remember what God was doing in my life. I remember what I was feeling and experiencing. And a lot of times songs will do that. And one of the cool things is I'm reading through the Psalms all of a sudden, I'll find a phrase. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think we used to sing a song out of this verse. Or out of this psalm. This, this, and this psalm is one of them. And it went like this. It says, I will, <clears throat> I will give thanks to you. I'll try to sing it. I will give thanks to you, O Lord among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great. It is great to the heavens. And your faithfulness, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do more than anything else, God, we want You to be exalted. Lord, we want to lift You high. We want to see Your name known and praised and exalted in all the earth. God, at the end of the day, our life 
is but a vapor. It's really quick. It's really brief in light of eternity. Lord, we don't want to have statues and monuments to us. (laughs) But God, we want You. We want who You are and we want what You have done uh, as Creator and Redeemer to be number one of importance in people's lives around us. God, we want You to be exalted. We want You to be praised. Lord, thank You for the story in Scripture. David didn't try to save himself. He didn't take matters into his own hands. Lord, he trusted. He yielded himself to You. And really, that's, that's the way of the Christian life. Lord, we don't save ourselves. Lord, the Christian message is not, hey, try harder and do better. Try to be a better person. No, the message is that we can't save ourselves. But God, You have come in the person of Jesus to be a Savior for us. Lord, we exalt You. We praise You. We honor You. And we want Your name. We want Your glory to be seen and known and experienced over all of the earth. God, thank You. Thank You. Thank You. If you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, I really want to encourage you to do that. I, uh, like I said earlier, I, I went to church my whole life as a child, but I wasn't a Christian until about 20 years of age. I prayed and I said, Lord, I take my life. I, I surrender my life to You. I tried over and over and over to kind of fix myself and I never could get anywhere. But I, Lord, I yield to You. Jesus, thank You. I believe that You love me. I believe You lived a perfect life. I believe You died not for anything You did wrong, but You died for my sin. And Lord, You rose again. Be the Lord. Be the Savior of my life. Thank You, Jesus.